Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Now, if you don't mind... Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts in chapter number 1. I want to preach to you a special message this morning to encourage your faith and the idea of what the church's responsibility is, especially during this time. And so I encourage everyone to have their own copy of the Word of God so you can see these things for yourself. I want you to be prepared to take notes because I believe I'm going to give you some things today from the Word of God and from the principles that will help you be responsible to respond to God the way that you ought during a time such as this. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts in chapter number 1. The book of Acts in chapter number 1. And if you don't mind, notice with me in Acts chapter number 1. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 9. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. And when he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so sh- shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealots and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And if you're the habit of marking things in your Bible, when you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1, and notice the phrase that we find in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14. Notice the phrase, with one accord in prayer. With one accord in prayer. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach a message to you about the praying church. The praying church. If you wouldn't mind, let's take some time to go to the throne room of grace together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God.
And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would open up the scriptures, that you would illuminate our minds, give us an understanding, and that you would also make an application through this, that you would make it clear, that you would let us see what we can do during our time. You could let us see what we can do in looking up to you and expecting you to work. I'm thankful that we have the medium of prayer and that no matter what happens, they can lock down the state. They can encourage people to stay at home, but we can still get through and talk to the Lord of heaven, to talk to him and go to the throne room of grace and know that you hear and that you answer prayers. I'm asking that you would encourage folks now and that you would speak to people in a special way. As for myself, I'm asking that you would help me to reckon myself dead. That you would fill me with your precious spirit. And that you would be a help to your people today. We thank you. And in Jesus precious name we pray. Amen. Here we have the principle given in the scriptures of the praying church. The praying church. If you don't mind maybe perhaps I can allow you to hit some context. In Acts chapter 1, we see the last days of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry with his disciples. We know that previous to this point in time, Jesus Christ has spent three years traveling with his disciples. After that, he was arrested and put on a legal trial. He was crucified up on the cross, buried on a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day he rose again to live forevermore. He spent 40 days with his disciples, and in Acts chapter 1, we see the very last day that Jesus is spending with the disciples. He goes up and gives them some instructions. Then what happens is that Jesus, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So as Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples when he's done speaking, all of a sudden one of the strangest things that ever happened occurred. Jesus began to float. He began to lift up in the air and go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until it got to the place where they couldn't see him anymore. Now, if you were there, you would do the same thing that the disciples did. It says they looked up and they were trying to see him. He went behind a cloud and they were just seeing, where did he go? You would stand there and look and see if you could see. I mean, could you imagine someone just floating up to heaven? Wouldn't that capture your attention to see where he's going to? Is he coming back down, looking for a while? And they stand gazing up in the air so long that God sent an angel to come and kick him and say, Hey guys, what are you looking at? He's gone. He's coming back. But guess what? You have a job to do. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And so he goes up to heaven. But after this, everything has changed. Let me remind you that the disciples had given up everything. We know that four of them have given up their fishing businesses. They no longer own a fishing business. They sold everything. It's all gone. 
Matthew left, left his tax collecting business. They've all left things. For three years they have dedicated their entire life for following after Jesus. And now Jesus has ascended to heaven. What do we do now? Everything changed at that moment. They no longer had direction. Everything is switched around. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this brand new life that we have? How are we going to respond to it? How are we going to go to our brand new normal? Things will never be the same ever again. How do we respond when things are never the same? How do we react when things are never the same? Well, if you don't mind, let's see how the first century church responded. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they came in, they went up into an upper room. So this is where they assembled together. And it says who's all there. Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zealots, Judas's brother, Mary the mother of Jesus, and all of his uh, half-brothers are there. Everyone's gathered in that upper room. They have assembled together. And what are they doing during that time? Are they gossiping about how bad the government is? Are they talking about boo-hoo me? Let me tell you how bad they treated Jesus. What are they doing during this time? They pray. They pray. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. What did the first century do, church do when their world was turned upside down? What did the first century church do when their normal was now erased? What did the first century church do? They prayed. They prayed. This is the proper response of the church in uncertain times. This is the proper uh, response for the church in certain times. This is what the church was given to do. Is that this was given to us to pray. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take the word of God and I'd like to open up several passages to to you this morning to encourage you about the praying church. The first thing I'd like to show you is God's plan for his house. God's plan for his house. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah in chapter number 56. Isaiah and chapter number 56. We know that we have to go to a new normal right now. Right now, things cannot go back to the same way they used to be. Even just a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, things are completely different now. And we do not know when things will go back to the old way, if they ever do. So we have to know how to respond properly. We have to understand what are we supposed to do as a church now that no longer has the same routines to depend upon, the same traditions to look upon. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be a praying church. So what was God's plan for his house in the first place? Notice with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56, and notice with me in verse number 5. Isaiah 56 and verse 5, notice what the word of God says. 
Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a, ho- a place and a name better than of the sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh a hold of my covet. Notice in verse 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted in mine altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now we took time earlier this year to show this principle in Solomon's prayer in the book of uh, Second <coughs> Chronicles. But God made a promise to Solomon, he accepted uh, Solomon's request, that no matter who they are, they could go to God's people who will go and talk to their God and God will answer their prayers. You see, God wants to be known as a God who answers prayer. How can we prove that our God is real in the midst of everything that's going on? How can we prove our God is real compared to everyone else's God? The principle is that our God hears and answers prayer. And God says, I want it to be known that my house is a house of prayer. Now, let me remind you that the church is not regulated to four walls. The church is God's people that assemble together. We have a local assembly in this area. And right now we're meeting a little bit differently. But we are still the Riverview Baptist Church who are assembled. And God has a desire that his house should be known as a house of prayer. God has designed it so even now people know who to go to and give a prayer request. Because their God hears and answers prayer. You know what this means for you and what it means for me? Is that we need to be known as people who could get a hold of God. Does God answer your prayers? Let me tell you, God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to be a God who hears us. God wants to be a God who answers us. God wants to give good gifts unto his children. And he wants it to be known so people can go to us And say, I got a prayer request. And the reason why I'm giving it to you is because I know that your God answers prayer. You know how important this idea is to Jesus? You know how important this is? That Jesus quoted this passage in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three times in the gospel records, it is recorded that Jesus said that my house shall be called a house of prayer. You see, this isn't an Old Testament principle. This is a Bible principle that covers all time. That God has always had in mind his desire for his house to be known as a house of prayer. And in order for it to be known as a house of prayer, we have to be a type of people who get our prayers answered. Who know how to get a hold of our God. Who know how to speak to him. Now is a time where we need to be bombarding the throne room of grace. And we need to be praying. And we have so many things to pray for. More than ever there are things in our mind. We need to be praying for those friends of ours who are missionaries around the world. They need prayers. 
We need to be praying for wisdom for pastors. You understand pastors have never been through a pandemic like this before. And they're trying to do the best they can with what they have. And many preachers are making different decisions. Does that mean they're wrong? No. It means they're trying to do the best they can. And no matter what a preacher does, he's going to get criticized during these times. We need to be praying for our government. You understand? This is an unusual thing. And we may disagree with how they may going about it. But doesn't erase the idea that we need to pray for wisdom for them. That they do things properly. We have friends of us who are susceptible to getting sick. We understand during this time, we have friends who are a little bit elderly, a little bit senior saints who need to be prayed for protection during this time. We have people who are going through cancer and the cancer treatments. We need to be praying for them that God protects them and God gives them much grace during this time. We need to be praying for safety. We need to be praying that people can be reached right now. We need to be praying for our friends who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior that now would be the time where their hearts would be softened and that they would be receptive to hearing the gospel that Jesus Christ died to, for, to give them forgiveness of sins. Full, free, and forever for all those that believe. Now as we talked about God's plan for his house. That his plan has always been that his house should be known as a house of prayer. There's a second thing that I want to bring your attention to. And I want to show you this. What happens in a praying church? What happens in a praying church. Now we know that God has designed for his house to be a house of prayer. We've seen the context of this that when the disciples and the church when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven the first thing they did is they went to Jerusalem and they prayed. What happens when a church learns the principle of praying? What happens within that church? Oh, there's a lot of wonderful things. I want to point out a couple different things that occur. If you don't mind, notice with me, first of all, in the book of Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts chapter 13. What happens in a praying church? What occurs? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Acts chapter 13. In the book of Acts chapter 13, we're now dealing with another first century church, the church of Antioch. And the church of Antioch is a very important church within history. But this is a church that was known as a praying church. So notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts chapter 13, and notice with me in verse number 1. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So what we could see in this first century church is that they were praying. They were a praying church. And as they were praying, we could see this thing here, that what happens in a praying church? They have unity. They have unity. What happens when we pray? We're taking time to look unto Jesus. And let me tell you, if the entire church is looking at Jesus, we're going the same direction. We're going to the same goal. 
And let me tell you something wonderful, is that if we're all looking to Jesus, Jesus is not going to tell you something different than he's going to tell me. There's going to be a unity that comes together. They're all looking to Jesus. And as they are looking to Jesus, we have direction of God. What did the first century church need right after Jesus ascended to heaven and everything's different? They needed direction. How did they get it? By prayer. You come to the church of Antioch. They're surrendering themselves to God and say, God, what would you have us to do? We want to be used of you. They're all looking at Jesus. They have unity. And you know what God gives them? He gives them direction. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for a work that I have them to do. You know what happens is God is able to direct the church when all eyes are on him. When everyone has a unity. You know what we need right now is we need unity. You know what a temptation is going to be? Is that temptation is, is because we're not assembling in one location. We're assembling together online, but we're not assembling in one location. A temptation is for our eyes to get off the Lord. And it is so easy for people's eyes to get on circumstances, to get on problems, to get on government, to get on Facebook, to look at all kinds of different things. And our eyes get off the Lord And all of a sudden, we're no longer going the same direction. All of a sudden, we're no longer having the same goal. And when everyone's eyes are on different location, there's a disunity. And what happens is a church begins to break apart and get further away. Do you understand that if you are praying, and I am praying, and we're looking towards the Lord, and God is our goal, and He is the reason why we exist... What happens is that even though we're separated in location, there could still be a unity within the Riverview Baptist Church, even online, because we have our eyes on the same goal, and the goal is Jesus Christ. So now more than ever, it is important that we are a praying church. What what happens when you have a praying church? First of all, we see that it has unity. It has unity. What else happens when we have a praying church? Well, let me tell you, souls get saved. Souls get saved. As you go through the entire book of Acts, let me tell you what happens. The church prays and people get saved. As people get saved, it stirs up the enemy and persecution comes. There becomes pressure on the church, which causes the church to pray. As the church pray, souls get saved, the enemy gets angry, brings the persecution down on the church, which causes the church to pray, which causes more people to get saved. And on and on it goes. You know what happens when we pray? We begin to get the heart of Jesus Christ. When we pray, we start to see His idea of getting things done and when we pray and going towards the Lord and surrender ourselves to him we start to see that there are people who are dying and going to hell and we need to tell them the wonderful truth that Jesus saves that Jesus saves and if we're praying right people get saved let me remind you that not a single one of us can save a soul you cannot convince someone It is God's job to convince and it is God's job to save. It is our job to be faithful witnesses and allow God to use us as instrument. But it is only God that can do his work. And it can only be done as we pray and surrender ourselves to him. That God's work is less dependent on us than what we think. 
He just wants to use us as instruments. God will do his own work. We just have to be obedient to what he tells us to do. And so what happens with a praying church? With a praying church, you have unity because everyone's looking at the same goal. What happens when you pray? Souls get saved. And you could read the entire book of Acts and you could see that. What happens after they pray? Shortly after people are getting saved. What happens when they pray? Shortly after people get saved. What happens when they pray? Shortly after people get saved. On and on it goes inside of the book of Acts. What happens when the church prays? What happens when you have a praying church? Well, first of all, you have unity. What happens when you have a praying church? Well, souls get saved. What happens when you have a praying church? Miracles happen. Miracles happen. May I remind you that the theme of the Riverview Baptist Church for this year is with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Miracles happen. May I remind you of a story in Acts chapter 12? And if you don't mind, I'll just tell you the story. But in Acts chapter 12, what you have is that you have Peter who's in jail. James has been already killed, the first martyr of the 12. And then Peter's in jail and he thinks, well, I'm going to die. And so he's resigned to it. But the church of Jerusalem gathered together And they begin to pray. And they begin to pray, God, deliver Peter! (coughs) Deliver Peter! And so the entire church had gathered together, assembling together, in unity, praying, God, let Peter go. Well, Peter's asleep when an earthquake happens and unlocks his chains. He's still sleeping, so God has to send an angel to kick him and say, Get up! Get out of here! Peter looks, realizes he's loose. The doors are open. All right, see you later. And so he takes off. Well, he happens to know that the church is praying for him. So he goes and knocks on the door. Well, the doors are locked because they don't want everyone just to walk in. And he knocks. And he knocks. And finally, a young girl by the name of Rhoda comes in. And she looks at him. Peter! And she's so excited, she doesn't unlock the door, but goes back inside. Hey, Peter's outside! Peter's outside! Now, what has the church been praying for? That Peter would be released. But isn't it just like us, that we're praying for miracles to happen, and that we don't expect them to happen? So what happens is, they... They, Rhoda comes and says, hey, Peter's outside. And they go, it must be a spirit. Oh, no. No, he's outside. It's all right. It's fine. I guess our prayers didn't work. Isn't it funny we're surprised when our prayers actually do work? And so they go, it's Peter. Peter gives the account of what's going to happen. Why did it occur? Because a church prayed together. It's what happens when you have a praying church. What happens when you have a praying church? You have unity because all eyes are on the Lord. What happens when you have a praying church? Souls get saved. What happens when you have a praying church? Miracles happen. Miracles happen. With God, all things are possible. What else happens when a church prays? If you don't mind, I would like to show you one more thing. Power from God. What happens when a church prays together? They get the power of God. Let me show you a couple of passages that explain this. Notice with me, first of all, the gospel record of Luke chapter 24. The gospel record of Luke chapter 24. 
in the gospel record of Luke chapter 24, Jesus Christ is getting ready to ascend to heaven. So he hasn't ascended yet. And he is giving some last minute instructions about what, is, what he expects them to do. And so notice with me in Luke chapter 24. And notice with me in verse number 49. Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 49. Notice what Jesus says. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, that means to wait. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So here was Jesus' instructions. I want you to gather together as an assembly and I want you to pray. How long do we pray? Until power comes from on high. Don't leave. Don't stop praying until the power comes. So often we give up praying before we get the power of God. We're not patient enough. We feel like we've got to do something. We've got to move. But God says, no, no, I don't want you to go soul winning. I don't want you to go anywhere until you have this power. Until is an important word. He's saying, I want you to stay there and I want you to pray. I want you to pray together. I want you to pray with unity. I want you to look to God until the power comes. Notice with me in the book of Acts chapter 1. Uh, the gospel record of Luke chapter 24 where we just read was right before Jesus ascended. Once again in Acts chapter 1 we have the account of Jesus ascending. Right before Jesus ascended, what did he tell the disciples? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, But ye shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And in the uttermost parts of the world. Or earth. You understand most people cover the last part of verse 8. That says you shall be witnesses. But notice you're not witnesses until what? Ye shall receive power. When did they receive power? After they prayed. Jesus said you pray. You stay there. And pray until you receive power. After you receive power, then you will be witnesses. Where did the power come from? It came from on high, from a praying church. A church that prayed together. Show, let me show you this in action. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, notice with me in verse 8. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Notice what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers and of the people and elders of Israel. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, where must you must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives them the reminder, you stay and you, until you're endued with power, then you'll be witnesses of me. Acts chapter 2, Peter's walking out and people said, are you drunk? That's not your normal power. He says, no, it came from power of high. And he took time to preach a message and 3,000 people got saved. A little bit later, Acts chapter 4, where we just read here, it says Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And he said unto them, these people that were asking him this question, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Then he goes on and preaches a message here talking about they rejected Jesus. Verse number 12 is the application. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven which were given among men whereby we must be saved. And so he preaches unto them, Jesus, he's filled with power and he's a witness. And because they're filled with power, they have boldness. You know where the boldness comes from? It comes from having the power of God. Do you know that most of us, I don't have to remind you, most of you are weak and timid people. Most of us. Meaning that we have to work up the courage to go knock on doors. We have to work up the courage to go pass out a track. We have to get the courage to strike up a conversation. But you understand, along with the power of God comes with the boldness to go tell someone about it. It comes with power. Where did we get the power come from? It comes from on high. How did he get there? From a praying church. That as a church prays, it receives its power from God. And as it receives its power from God, they then will be witnesses. And God gives them boldness and gives them a message and brings them to Jesus Christ. Tells them about Jesus Christ. Now what happens is after Acts chapter number 4, they get arrested and they're told, don't you preach about Jesus anymore. And so guess what they did? After this, <coughs> they, they got arrested. They went back. You know what the very first thing they did after they got released from jail? They prayed. You know what they prayed? God, we're afraid. We're afraid so much. They told us not to witness, but we know that we have to obey you and I'm... I'm I'm having a hard time. Lord, please pray. Help us. Notice with me in Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. With boldness. And you know what they did? They went out and witnessed again. Because God gave them the power to do that. That's not power that comes from you and I naturally. That's not power that we could work up ourselves. It comes from the power of God. The power of God comes when a church gathers together and they pray until they're endued with power. And so you understand right now we're in uncertain times. And there's going to be a couple different things that happen. There is going to be so many churches that collapse and fold. There are so many churches that cannot survive this period. But that doesn't have to be us. How's, how are we going to be different? If we keep our eyes on Jesus. We look towards him and we pray. As we pray there's going to be a unity. Meaning that we don't have to worry about are we going to have enough people to put people in the church when this is lifted up. If your eyes are on the Lord and my eyes are on the Lord, we're going to move forward together even if we're separated by distance. We keep our eyes on God. As we continue to keep our eyes on God, souls are going to be saved. That means we can have more people come and join with us when this is lifted than what we had here before. Because we're seeing people come to know the Lord. Now is the perfect time to witness to people. Because people are searching and they are uncertain. They're rocked off of their normal routines. Things are uncertain for them. 
It is during this time as we pray we can see miracles. Oh, what miracles can happen. With God, all things are possible. We can see the most hardened heart come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior during this time. We can see God supply for our church. Wouldn't that be a miracle? That God still brings in and supplies to pay the bills? God can do it. You know what? Not only does he, can he supply the bills, but we have two revival meetings at the end of the year. God can not only do that, but still supply for those meetings that we lack in nothing. God can do wonderful things. And those are just physical things. God could do supernatural miracles right now and do amazing things. But it comes when we pray. And understand that power comes from God. This is an uncertain time. We live in a time where people do not want to shake hands with someone else. They don't want to be in the same room. They don't want to open up the doors. They don't want to have a conversation. How are we going to get through the power of God? Remember in, verse, in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Go back there if you don't mind. Acts four thirteen. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceive that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That has the phrase that they didn't go to college. They didn't have the education. They didn't have a doctorate degree. It carries the idea that these were just normal people. These were fishermen. These are not scholars. But they were normal people. They marveled. How can a normal person have answers like this? Because they had power from God. God gave them the wisdom. God gave them the answers. God gave them the words to say. They marveled. And notice this. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. How do you spend time with Jesus in prayer? Do you know it's a fact that when you spend time with someone, you start to behave like someone. Right? That's why husbands and wives, the longer that they live together, the more they start resembling each other. They have the same mannerisms, the same looks. They even say that the same thing with pets. The longer with a person lives with a pet, the more that they look like a pet and act like the pet. They say that when you spend time with a person, you begin to get their traits and their personalities. When you spend a lot of time with Jesus, you start to behave like Jesus. You start to smell like his home, the throne room of grace. You start to have his mannerisms. You start to behave like him. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Oh, I could tell that you've been spending a lot of time with Jesus because you're starting to act like him. Oh, what a great compliment. Oh, I could tell that you, you've been with Jesus. I could tell it by the way that you speak. That it's, your speech is seasoned with salt. It has truth and grace. So often we have too much grace and not enough truth and that just hurts people. Sometimes we have too much truth and not enough grace and that just makes people angry. But Jesus had truth and grace. They took note that they were been with Jesus. That they spent so much time with him. That you're acting just like Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for someone to accuse us of? You're acting just like Jesus. You behave just like Jesus. You smell just like Jesus. I took note that they had been with Jesus. Where does that come from? 
It comes from a praying church. Remember, the true testament of a true church, the test of a great church is not in its size, but in its likeness to Jesus Christ. If we are going to be a church that's like, or a great church, it's not in how many people we have, but how we're like Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great God. You know, during this time, we can become more and more like Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.